Welcome to the Orange Crest Community Church Podcast. Our hope is that this weekly podcast provides both encouragement and challenge as you move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. When I was in high school in upstate New York, I was trying to figure out where to go to college. And I remember sitting in the computer lab, and I was looking up schools online, and outside it was really dark and gloomy and snowy. It's the middle of winter, upstate New York, gets this intense weather. And one of the schools I pulled up, the homepage had palm trees and sunshine, and I'm like, ooh, this looks good. I checked it out, tuition was really good, and I was like, I think I found my school. And so I, I, I got to my dad, and I told him, Dad, I think I know where to go to school. It's in Southern California. I have a buddy that's going there. Tuition is low. And we, he actually ended up, my parents ended up agreeing to, to me going, moving from upstate New York, where I was born and raised, moving to Southern California for school. And I told my dad, I was like, here's my plan. I'm going to go. I'm going to get my four-year degree. And I'll come back home, and I'll, I'll get a job, and I'll probably get married, and, and I'll live here near you guys. And my dad said, you can, you can go to Southern California, but you're not going to come back to New York. I was like, Dad, I'm going to come back to New York. That was about 15 years ago, and I'm still here. So my dad, turns out, had some wisdom on the situation, and he was right. And I think when I first went to school, college out here, I went to school in San Dimas, Life Pacific College, I think, I, I don't even know if I called home in the first three months. I, I, I was like, all right, just totally focused and pretty bad about keeping in touch over the years, over the past few years, I, you know, I got married, we started having kids, and just my value of keeping in touch has gone up a little bit. But about a year ago, I was talking with one of my old friends, a buddy from New York. Uh, he also moved away. He moved to Georgia. But he, he told me that he had a regular time of calling his parents, and he, just, he had a routine for it, and he would just keep in touch with them very periodically. And in fact, if, if he ever missed the call or he didn't call when he, when he normally did, his parents were like, where's our call? Like, come on, like, you know, and they, and they missed it because they loved hearing from him. And he wasn't even telling me what to do, but as I was just, we were just talking about it and I thought, you know what? I, I really admire the way that he was honoring his parents by keeping in touch. And I, and I, I think I was withholding some amount of honor from my parents by uh, just not keeping in touch regularly. And so I was thinking, you know, there's so many people for me to keep up with and responsibilities I have, but, you know, I, I want to let that, you know, get me off the hook. And so, just in the moment, I was feeling that. That was a course correction I knew I needed to make. And so I started being more systematic and, and calling my parents. And I've been enjoying building and strengthening those relationships over the past couple of years. Um, I still feel pretty far away from my family. Uh, my wife and I are both from upstate New York. And so just about all of our family is on the East Coast, mostly in New York. We don't have any relatives nearby. And I've often wondered, what is my role in my family, you know, and especially when contact is limited, and especially also when, when my time and my energy and my resources here are so precious, is, you know, how, what's my role? And we're actually, we're pretty excited. We're going back to New York this summer for two weeks. I got two weeks off, and we're going to pack up all four of our kids in an airplane. <laughs> we're going to fly to New York, and, and we'll spend time with family. We've, we've started mapping out where we're going. We're going to uh, visit some, some old grandparents uh, that, are, that are getting well into age. They're, you know, we're going to go visit some in Connecticut. And so we'll just be visiting with our family and, and trying to enjoy that time together. Uh, I'm Bruce, and I'm one of the associate pastors here. And I'm really glad that you came today because uh, we're taking a step forward in our understanding of why we're here on this planet. In fact, why do I even exist? <laughs> so kind of a deep question. But this message here is called The Reason for Me. And 
Over the last several weeks, we've been looking at the various answers to this question, what is the reason for me? And the short answer really is love. Really, the reason we're here is to love. And we were made by God to know and to love him with everything we've got, the way that he loves us with everything he's got. And God has placed us in different circles. Uh, we have these, these circles of relationships um, in our neighborhoods, at work, in our church and families, and, and, and we have influence in these circles. And, and, and in fact, we can have a meaningful, purposeful life in each of those areas. And so today we're going to look at one dimension of our purpose in life, the reason that we exist, and that's found in our family tree. And you may know more or less about your family tree, about where you come from and what your relatives were like. I've been learning a little bit more about mine over time. I'm going to show you a picture of old picture of my family. This is the Wood family. This is the Wood side, and this is this is a pretty uh, historic picture in my in my family. My grandma has this blown up real big in her bedroom. I'm in the middle row. I'm a little boy sitting on my dad's lap with a blue shirt on, and uh, this this was summer for me. This every summer we would go and we'd live on on the lake, and our relatives would come by, and some could live there with us. Some would come in and out. Fourth of July on the boat with fireworks. Just this was every summer, and family was very, very important to to me and to, to my grandma and to my parents. And we just we gathered and we loved it. And so, in fact, I just I visited my grandma uh, in October, and I saw that she someone had made her a, a painting of a family tree. And so here's this painting that was made for her. Um, this has um, her parents on it, or her and her kids, and. And so right at the base of the tree, or the tree trunk, is, is Bruce Lockley Wood. That's my grandfather. That's who I'm named after. And in fact, I never met him, but he, he's on there, and, and my dad and his siblings, and I'm on there, and then three of my four kids made it onto this painting before it was painted. And my grandma's like, the only trouble is you guys keep having kids, so I've got to change this picture at some point. But this is, this is right in her hallway, and she sees this all the time, and, and she just loves, loves, loves her family, and she keeps up with us on Facebook and stuff, and um, you may know more or less about your family tree, and there's websites for that, and you can do some digging or have people do some digging for you. When you read the Bible, you get the sense that family trees matter a lot to God. God is thinking generationally. God's not only thinking just today and your life and this year. He's, he's thinking generationally. He works through family trees. What one generation does with its life can have a major impact on the generations that follow. The Bible is full of genealogies. You can read them. Here's one genealogy that we can find. This is an illustration. It'll be hard to read because there's so much content, but the, the big detail here is this is all of um, the forefathers of Jesus, from Adam, you know, going down through some people to Noah, then to Abraham, King David. And you said, there literally is every name of, of every person that was in you know, generation uh, passed down all the way to Jesus. And, and it's amazing. You can, you can read this. Sometimes you'll be reading in the Bible, and you just have, you hit this section where it's just name after name after name, and, and so-and-so had this son, and his name was this, and he had this son, and you can't even pronounce half of them, and you're like, Why, how do I even read this? But what you get, what, do, what we get the sense of is seeing so many family trees written in Scripture specifically is that God is focused on families. In fact, he unfolds his plan through and the saving of, of people through families. And God's method is men and women who trust and obey him throughout their lives and then across their generations. And, you know, when you read things like this, you realize that God wants more. He wants more people. He wants more kids, more generations. Specifically, God wants another righteous generation. In fact, look at Psalm 145, 
verse 4, it says, One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. God wants us, our generation right now, to pass on our faith to the next. And this happens when, when each of our households, in whatever role that you play in your family, you may play multiple roles, God will help you as you trust him and as you spread and encourage uh, others with your faith in him. And this is, this is there's this tremendous impact that we have and potential in a family over time through generations. Let me show you one family that had a really big impact. Um, they were devoted to God, and there was a lot of good that they did. This is a picture of Jonathan Edwards lived in the 1700s. It was said of him, there, there was a study done on him, he was very godly. He was also uncommonly hardworking, intelligent, and moral. And around the turn of the 20th century, there was some research done on the history of his descendants. And they found, they could find about a thousand, over 1,400 descendants from his family line. And from them, a hundred of his, over 100 were lawyers, uh, 30 of his descendants were judges, 13 became college presidents, uh, over 100 were professors, 62 became physicians, there was over 100 clergymen, missionaries, theological professors, um, 80 of his descendants were elected to public office, including mayors, governors, members of Congress, three senators, and even a vice president, as Aaron Burr, over 60 authors, producing uh, 135 noteworthy books, 75 army or navy officers, and a controller of the U.S. Treasury. This is a pretty phenomenal impact from one family line. I mean, this was, this was a disproportionate impact for one family to have this amount of influence over society is, is incredible. In fact, it was said about his wife that much of the capacity and the talent, uh, the intensity and the character of, of all their descendants is due to Mrs. Edwards. And so you really get the sense, this was Jonathan and his wife, this must have been a pretty power-packed duo. Um, they understood the impact of a strong family legacy. I mean, I wonder, to have this kind of impact, how did they relate to their 11 kids? How did they relate to their own siblings? And their, and their kids got to see them relating in family situations. And, and how did they just pass on this idea of a walking with God throughout life? They, they demonstrated, surely, that true success in life comes from walking with God and submitting to his standards for living. I mean, they must have had a clear understanding of the vital role that they played in family. They must have known that God places us in our family to make the gospel attractive and have a generational impact. God places us right in our families to influence them. We have influence with our family members. It's no mistake that you have the parents that you do. Uh, I don't know how many siblings you have, but it's no mistake who they are and the fact that you're right in the mix of them. It's no mistake that you have an aunt or uncle or whoever whoever's in your, your family circle. You were intentionally just plopped right in the middle of that family on purpose. In fact, one, one of... God's big reasons for, for putting you here is to declare his goodness, make the gospel vibrant and attractive. And so we can be a light to those who don't know Jesus, and we can be an encouragement to those who do. And when you look at the New Testament, you see that the gospel very often made its way through families, entire family units. This was, this was the way that the church grew in, in households. In the early church, There was uh, this was the primary way of, of the spread of Christianity. You can see a picture here of uh, this is an illustration of the Philippian jailer. There was a, uh, a story in which Paul and Silas, they were sharing the good news about Jesus. They got themselves in a lot of trouble. They were doing the right thing, but people didn't like it. And so they got beaten and flogged, locked up in prison, and then shackled. And uh, they, they were stuck there in prison. And, and the jailer had the instruction to keep watch over them and everybody else in the jail. And that, on, the, on the penalty of death, it was his job to make sure that prisoners stayed in there. 
So in the middle of the night, Paul and Silas, they, their response was to worship the Lord. They were singing and, and singing out hymns and songs, and God decided to free them. And so an earthquake shook the prison, all the doors flung open, and the jailer, as soon as he sees these doors open, he immediately overwhelmed. He realized, all right, this is it. There's no way I can contain this. I'm dead. I'm going to be brutally murdered by my, my supervisors. So he's prepared to kill himself. He takes out his sword. He's about to kill himself. And Paul and Silas say, don't, stop. We're all here. Don't do anything drastic yet. And the jailer, knowing that he's at the end of his rope, he says, what must I do to be saved? And here's their response. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. Uh, go back for a second. Uh, and they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. And then it goes on to say, even at that hour of the night, it's the middle of the night, it's past midnight, the jailer cared for them, washed their wounds, and he again and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. Like middle, middle of the night, I don't know where they went. <laughs> they must have marched out with their kids, got them out of bed. They're like, we need to do this now. Everybody, he brought them, this jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He and his entire household rejoiced. They were so glad. They were grateful and excited because they had all believed in God. This is just one story of a whole family converting to Christianity. And in, this was common in the time. And this comes up again and again. If you read through the book of Acts, even in the New Testament, uh, Crispus was the name of a synagogue ruler, a prominent re- religious leader. About him it says, his entire household believed after hearing Paul. And then Cornelius, he was the first non-Jewish family to convert to Christianity. And uh, it says about him, his entire household also believed. And households at this time was you know, spouse and kids, but it, it included other people that lived there. You know, relatives maybe stayed with them, even close friends. Lydia, she's a woman, and it's, she was a clothing vendor. And it says that the Lord opened her heart, and then her household was baptized. She had some influence over her house. Um, Zacchaeus, Jesus told him, today salvation has come to this house. And then uh, Stephana, it says his whole household was baptized by Paul. And so this just comes up again and again. The good news of Jesus made its way through entire family units. Entire households coming to Christ was a normal thing. And, and partly because that's, that was a natural way for people to shift identity as a unit. And so what, basically what this shows us even now is that Christian homes have a very special part to play in God's redemptive story. And God might have placed you right in the middle of your family to have influence. Uh, he might be working through you to make the gospel compelling and attractive. And in fact, this is one of the reasons that you're here. This is one of the reasons for me. Uh, we can bring tremendous meaning and purpose into our lives as we do this. We, we live out the great commandment of loving God and loving people in our very family. And so your family is a very significant circle of relationships. And, and so we're looking at this. this. This gives us the background for it. But practically speaking, how do we walk out this loving of our families? And the Bible provides the guidance for us to do this really well. In Matthew 9, there's another story of uh, a paralyzed man. He, he couldn't walk, and Jesus healed him. But the way, the way it happened was he was desperate to get in to get healing, but where Jesus was, it was, it was packed out. The house was all crowded and mobbed in there. So his buddies hoist him onto the roof. They take off some of the ceiling tiles, and they lower him to where Jesus is. And it caused a bit of a confrontation because Jesus was ready to forgive his sins and heal him. And it's a big, big thing on display here. And Jesus says to this man, you know, he forgives his sin and he heals him. He says, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And it seems a little anticlimactic, if you ask me. You know, you know this amazing thing happens, not just go home. You know, for us, going home is like calling it quits. Like, I'm done. <laughs> I'm out. 
And Jesus does the same thing, though, uh, with another man who's demon-possessed. Uh, there was a man who was in tremendous suffering, uh, all kinds of pain and, and harassment from the enemy. Jesus frees him from all the demonic activity. He heals his body. And here's what it says about him. The man who had been freed from the demons begged to go with him. It was actually his preference to go with Jesus. That's, I mean, I would have wanted that too. But Jesus sent him home saying, no, go back to your family and tell them everything that God has done for you. So he went through the town proclaiming the great things that Jesus had done for him. Many times, if you, if you read through the Gospels, you see Jesus telling people, go home. <laughs> go home after something amazing happens. And the focus, is, it's not on home. The focus is on the people that live there. And it says, as if to say, God has done something incredible in your life. Now, go home and talk about it. You know, the people at home, they knew what I was like before. They knew what I was into. They knew what, I, you know, what I'm like, my personality, what kind of stuff I struggled with, or what my body was like. And they're going to be amazed when they see the difference that Jesus has done in your life. So one of the most important ways for us to love our families is simply to declare what God has done for me. You know, we can talk about God with our family members, and this includes our spouse, just declaring this to our spouse, or to our kids, just letting them know what God has been doing, or extended family members, and we can reflect on that huge, massive, big, incredible way that God has had mercy on us and welcomed us in his family. And then we can reflect on all the many small ways, just day to day, that you know, through the flow of daily life, God is, is caring for us and protecting us and, and providing for us and helping us. And we can reflect on it, just talk about it, declare it, let people know what God is doing. And sometimes, depending on who you're talking to in your family, this may require being a little bit bold. Talking about God with people can sometimes feel a little awkward, uh, especially if they have mixed feelings about, about God. And you don't know where people land necessarily. And I, I've felt this way many times. Of just, if I just start talking about God or start talking specifically about Jesus, what he's done. You know, but then I realize, at some point, I realize God has done so much for me. God's a pretty big part of my life. I mean, it's just an all-consuming, every, you know, on my focus throughout the day, I'm thinking about God. And it would actually be weird for me to not talk about him all the time <laughs> based on how big of a role he plays in my life. And so sometimes we have to be bold and declare what he's done. I think Del Taco almost got this concept right. They say, go bold or go home. I'd say, go bold and go home. <laughs> we go bold and we go to the people who know us well and, and let them see the difference that God has made in our lives. There's actually a man that goes to our church right now, and he wasn't a Christian when he first started coming. The very first time he came to our church was to see his niece in a family, one of our family Christmas services. And so he and his wife, their interests started growing, and they started coming to our church, uh, just a few things, and started getting connected. But out of all the factors that made him more open to considering Jesus, because he had, he had been resistant to Christianity most of his life, out of all the factors that made him being willing to uh, be influenced and, and open to Jesus, very at the top of his list was uh, his sister. It was his sister, because she had been coming here for a few years before him. And here at this church, she became a Christian. She started following the Lord. She became a believer. And then her life changed. Uh, and, he, and this man, he, he saw his sister, and he couldn't. He was used to his sister being one way. They grew up together. He knew all about her. And he, he couldn't deny. He couldn't, he couldn't ignore the incredible changes that was happening in her life. And so this man eventually committed his life to Christ. And then his wife followed him. And now their girls are following them. And we see, we've seen in our church many times that the gospel moves through families. And this, that's not the only story like that. I, I did a quick study of our church this week, and 
I found out over 25 couples in our church right now have family members right now that are connected to our members. And it, it could be siblings, like what I just described, siblings influencing one another, or it could be um, parents seeing big changes in their adult children. You may have members here, and their parents come, and they say, wow, there's, this church is doing, you know, God is doing something incredible through my, my, my kids' lives. And, and this doesn't even include the family units of, of young parents who are learning to train their kids in God's ways, because we have a lot of little kids running around. And so that, that's happening, too. The church grows through households. And so the first way for us to truly love our family is to declare what God has done for us. And second, we're going to divert into a very specific family relationship, uh, husbands and wives. And the way, the way this looks is, is to become one. In the book of Malachi 2.15, it says, Has not the Lord made them one? In flesh and spirit they are his. God's design is for there to be total oneness between husbands and wives. And it's hard to even know exactly what that means. It's such a big concept. I mean, it comes across as a huge priority in Scripture from the beginning of Genesis through the Old Testament and then in through the New Testament, all throughout Scripture, this idea of a husband and wife being one, it permeates uh, Scripture. And, And there's so many things that pull at our marriages. There's so many offenses that come up and, and then deceptions and acts of unfaithfulness. Not, not just the big ones, but there's sometimes small ones and, and there's selfish ambitions and just wedges are constantly getting driven in, in between our marriages. And over and over again, maybe sometimes it feels like every day, it's a battle to remove and to eliminate threats to our complete unity. And, and that unity in marriage is it's a powerful reflection of God's relationship with Jesus and, and their unity. It's also a very, marriage represents and reflects to the world the unity between Jesus and his bride, the church. And so when marriages are, are unified in one, it's, it's such a compelling witness to the world, to, to our families, to everyone around us, to see of God's love and his design for life. And when you're thinking in terms of a multi-generational impact, when that goes on just beyond you, beyond me, uh, the potential for that happening gets blown to bits when the starting place, when the marriage is fractured. Jesus said that a house divided cannot stand. And marriage really is the starting place for the family tree. That's the tree trunk uh, where the strong roots are grown and and it can support life for for decades, maybe even a century, a family, you know, over a century of of descendants who walk with him. And so when a marriage is operating in unity, it's also a very powerful experience for, for the husband on his own and the wife on their own because husbands... We get to follow Jesus Christ in his total self-sacrifice for her. And this is really hard to do. <laughs> when, 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 I, when we sacrifice on that level for her, it is a profound experience that, that draws us into a closer walk with him. And wives, in a similar way, they get to experience the blessing that comes from submitting to and following their husbands in the, way, the very way that Jesus submitted to and followed his father, the will of, of God the Father. So marriage is... Very much an important and vital place for us to live out our purpose. In the second part of this verse, though, we get the idea, we, we learn of one of God's reasons for even having marriage. It's to raise godly children. It says, why did he make us one? Why does he make a husband and wife one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. This is a pretty foundational reason that marriage exists. Uh, and based on this one detail alone, we might not be far off to assume that Jonathan Edwards and his wife lived with great unity in their marriage. They must have a unified marriage because it's not likely that their descendants would have had near the impact on the society around them 
if there was a lot of division between Jonathan and his wife. And so God gives special instructions to parents, actually, especially to fathers. <laughs> in Ephesians 6, 4, he says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. That's easy for us to do. Because sometimes dads, we feel exasperated by our kids, and then we exasperate them. <laughs> Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. And for those of us who have children, raising them to walk humbly and exactly and wisely with God must be the highest priority above everything else when we're raising them. When it comes to child rearing, uh, there's, there's a lot of things that we, ha- we want for our kids and for their futures, and we want them to have good opportunities, good education. I, re- I mean, I want my kids to reasonably do well financially and, and to have uh, some good status and just peace and have a good life. And, and all those things we want for our kids, but the thing that has to top it all has to be our kids learning to walk wisely with the Lord. And if anything else is a little bit higher of a priority for us and them, that's going to be transmitted to them, and they will stumble. And, and that's, going to, that's going to cause this multi-generational impact to crumble. And there's, there's a lot of good parents in here right now in our church. And, and I know, you know, like you, I want, we want to produce godly children so much. I, I want to invest in my kids and to train them. But somehow, parenting just gets pushed to the back burner so easily, so quickly. I mean, I, we want this, but we have to keep, as parents, we have to keep finding ways to, to bring it back to the front. How do we focus, bring scripture and bring um, training and focusing God's ways into our everyday, the flow of everyday life for our kids, especially while they're young? So earlier in this service, you, you heard that the men of our church have a special opportunity to get involved in the Men's Summit that's coming up at the end of this month. And whether you're a husband or you're a dad or, or just a single man walking with the Lord, this Men's Summit really is a great opportunity to invest your time in things that may have an eternal impact. Uh, if you're here right now and you're a man, my bet is that you want to leave a mark on history. I do. I mean, you want to make a difference that lasts beyond yourself, that goes beyond your own life. That's what we want. And so we designed these men's summits for a way, in a way for men to take inventory of their personal core responsibilities in life. And that's, you know, in terms of influencing the world around us, our, it's our own responsibility that you know, we can leverage to do, to do that. And we, we want to become men that live out the great commandment. And so I would strongly encourage every man here to pay whatever cost needed to, to get there. And for different people, the cost is, you know, maybe for some the financial cost is, is a difficulty, some it's time off work, or some it's just building up the motivation to go or to overcoming, you know, uh, social dynamics or, or obstacles or hesitations. But as men, we constantly need the realignment uh, of our perspective and, and the challenge and, and then the relationships, the tribe of men around us to keep getting us on track to the most important things in life. And that's what we hope to accomplish with this summit. Now, looking back at this theme of family, and the family impact. You may be thinking, loving spouse and loving kids, yeah, that's one thing. That makes sense. But what about the extended family? For most of us, our extended family is a mixed bag of relationships. <laughs> there, there's some family members you just love, they just treat you well, and there's other that you maybe want to ignore or walk around, or you walk on eggshells around them, or there's tension there, and there's just, there is a mixed bag. You know, family reunions, you know, you didn't, sometimes you don't know what you're walking into. <laughs> and God placed us right in the middle of it right in the middle of our families, to be a light and to be an influence towards God. And so how does that work with our, our relatives of, of varying relationship status? One big guiding principle that lasts you know, across them all and across decades is that relatives, with them we share love and faithfulness over the long term. In Proverbs 
3, it says, let, let love and faithfulness, you know, those two qualities in, in particular, let them never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and men. It's sometimes really hard to know, how much time do I spend with a family member? You know, there's opportunities throughout the year. Uh, just over the years that go by, how do we, how do we in, include family into life? But if all of our interactions with, with them, with our relatives, are loving, just really we're, we're trying to love them, uh, which is pr- in practical terms is me being kind, helping them with their goals, and then faithful, just being a faithful family member to, to support and, and, and to be there. It doesn't mean you do everything, but love and faithfulness over time, maybe over years, and then continually declaring what God has done in your life. Um, if, that's, if this has been your pattern, then God may give us specific opportunities to share the good news and, and to, to draw people into Christ. And then for those relatives who are already believers, we can play a role in being a big encouragement to them, especially as, as our relatives just they see us steadily over the years uh, walking with God and see our faithfulness and see God's blessing in, in the course of that. I mean, face it, family members are around for a while. They hang in there. <laughs> and so you see your family members at key points throughout life, and, and there may eventually come up something in a family member, member's life that's a real difficulty. Uh, there's a lot of trouble in life. And so there may be a dis, a DDIS, um, death, divorce, illness, status change. There, there's, these, there's these show-stopping moments that can happen in a person's life that suddenly makes them open in a way that they haven't been open before. And, and if our pattern has been love and faithfulness, let's say over the past 20 years, uh, then we might be seen as this trustworthy person. We might be seen as a person that could offer some help and some advice. And, and in, in those moments, we can point them to God. But sometimes it takes plotting for decades to, to earn that kind of trust and credibility. And you may be thinking, yeah, this sounds good, love and faithfulness. That works for most of my extended family. But there's one relationship that is just not working. <laughs> there's somebody... There's so much of strain there. there. There's an offense or, or there's bitterness and grudges. And, and, you know, sometimes those offenses can build up over a very long time. You know, if you're not seeing family members, there's just a lot of time in between for that offense to grow. And, and if there is a strain in the relationship, there's a huge obstacle for our ability to be a light and influence toward God. I mean, this is going to limit us from fulfilling God's purpose for our lives. And so it's, it's absolutely imperative that if there's a strain in the relationship, that we go clear it up. And for many, family is a pretty good place to just sweep things under the rug. <laughs> you know, somebody says something off the wall, or you get offended, or they show up late, or you got one relative that just blows up every time, you yelling at people, you got another one that just starts start stewing, and now they're all like quiet and in the corner, and you don't know what's going on over there, and there's all these dynamics at play, and there's just tension and strain. And if that's happening in family, and, it, and, if, and especially if I've contributed to that at all, I feel like most of the time it's 9% me, 10%, or, you know, I feel like it's mostly them and not me, but... Sometimes, I don't know, I've got a part to play, and I, and I, know, I don't want to face it. I don't want to, you know, especially with my siblings, like, if I've, done, if I've crossed the line, it is so hard to own up to that offense. It is so hard, especially to a family member, to say, you know what, I was wrong. And, and, and Romans twelve eighteen gives us some pretty intense instructions on this point. It says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. This requires some phenomenal humility. <laughs> God places such a high priority on our clear relationships. Uh, and, and because if there is strain there, if there's a fence there, that's just going to be an obstacle. It's going to block and severely limit our impact uh, if, if those offenses go unaddressed. And so just think, what if, what if there's an offense 
you know, somewhere in your relationships with your family, uh, and that offense is blocking you from having a multi-generational impact. I, I mean, I don't, I don't want that. I want to I clear the obstacles. I want to make a difference. And so today we've looked at a handful of family relationships. This is actually just a brief survey and overview. But it helps us answer the question, what am I here for? Why do I exist? And, and this is one slice of that answer. God put you and your family to make the gospel attractive and to make a generational impact. And incredibly, God took the very first step with us. And he welcomed us into his family. He brought us into his household. God, you know, he, he can become our loving, gracious father, and we can become brothers and sisters with other men and women who are living for him. And this is, this is an incredible blessing that we don't deserve, and it's, it's amazing. And in response to that incredible, humbling thought, one of the most significant things we can do is to, in turn, invest our time in our family members. It takes a lot of resources and forethought. I mean, whether it's your spouse or your kids or relatives, just whoever it is, you know, this, this can be hard and uncomfortable, but we resonate when we're doing what God has designed us to do, when, when, when we're operating in the way that he's created us. So when you look back on your life and you look over the years and the decades gone back, your happiness, really your, your sense of fulfillment is going to be tied to this. Have I been living out the great commandment within my very family? This is a, that's a slice of that. And not only that, we can have a generational impact. There's, a, there's an author and speaker, Tony Robbins. He said, people overestimate what they can accomplish in a year, and they underestimate what they can achieve in a decade. And you know, some good perspective that may be true and then one of my mentors he takes this a step further he says people rarely estimate what they can accomplish generationally not just a year or a decade uh, because a lot of people think about their kids all the time a lot of people think about their grandkids but what about beyond that what about your grandkids 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 you know 150 years from now how often do you think about them <laughs> you know maybe not often I, don't, I mean not often for me i mean what think about what's what's your last name and what has your, your family's name been known for? What has characterized your family line? What, is your, what are your relatives known for? Maybe you're the link in the chain that will redeem your family name and set a brand new trajectory for all the descendants after you. We have a very important role to play in our households. And in our household, you know, your household, my household, it makes up the household of God, God's family tree. And so imagine all the good that he can do in you and through in your family, in your impact, in, our, in my lifetime, in, in our generation today, through our faithfulness and our trust in him. You can see that there's some next steps on your listening guide that you might consider in response to this. But the way I'd like to end is, is by pointing out something that Pastor Josh has been saying over the past few weeks. And that's that Easter is coming next month. And this is a very special time in the year. Uh, it's a time when we reflect the fact that Christ defeated death on Easter morning and Jesus' resurrection shows us that death isn't the end. Um, in, in doing that, Jesus took away the fear and the power that death had over us. And so our, we hope, we have tremendous hope. Think about all the hope that comes from talking about our family impact and just knowing that how God has saved us. We have hope, and the world around us is starving for it. So I want to encourage you to be bold in praying for your share of opportunities over the next few weeks between today and Easter Sunday. And ask the Lord to bring people into your life, or just along your path, new people on your path, or, or uh, that God will help you to see people already there that you can love and serve and then invite to join us on Easter Sunday. We'll be celebrating Jesus. And, and most people who come to church on, on 
actually any day, is, is from a personal invitation. And so we hope to fill this place up on Easter Sunday. This is one of the reasons for OCC, and you get to be a part of that. And so let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word today and for uh, gathering us here, for uh, helping us adjust to the, to the time change. And I thank you for the way that you have so graciously, mercifully, and lovingly welcomed us into your family. Through Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, we have a way to become your son and daughter. I'm a son of the, of the Most High God. And that's an incredible thought. I don't even, can't even capture it all. But Lord, I, I thank you for that. I thank you for the intentional way that you've put us right in our family to have influence and that you've given us opportunities. I pray that we would leverage those. And, and just from a heart of compassion and love, buy up the opportunities to, to declare your goodness, to be one with our, our spouses, and to train our kids in your ways, to um, get things cleared up as we need to. Lord, help us to take the next steps to, to make our lives not about ourselves. Life's not about me. That's the biggest lie in our culture right now is that life is about me. But Lord, uh, that we would make our lives about you and your kingdom and your purposes for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you've been encouraged by the message and equipped to move forward in obedience to God's word. Join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast.